This week on TFC Market Updates, Property Guru goes for a SPAC listing valuing at US $1.8 billion, but they only have a revenue of $61.9 million US. Is that really the accurate valuation? China unleashes a new wave of regulation focusing on education, spilling massive impacts into the edtech space with some companies losing over 90% of revenue. How will that affect your Chinese investments? And lastly, self-driving cars make yet another big leap with massive partnerships. Nissan and Renault are coming together to compete with Tesla. Is this the new corporate space race? All this and more on our weekly market updates, Tuesdays at 8 p.m. TFC's weekly market update scours the net to find worthy financial news to be further discussed and expanded. It is a banter session with facts, figures, and fun to help you get caught up in the world of investing. So join in the banter live with me, Rakesh, your host, weekly Tuesdays at 8 p.m. on our YouTube, Facebook, and Twitch. Okay, we back. We back. Not daily, right? But but weekly. We're gonna try. We're gonna try this new format for all of you. I know everybody is uh, once again stuck at home. I, I I'm recommending you not to stay at home. Um, try to go out. Just avoid the crowd. But yeah, we are back with the TFC update. So every week we're gonna tune in. Me, Thomas, Rakesh. We're gonna tune in every week to talk about the latest happenings of the week as an extension of our weekly newsletter. So go over to thefinancialcoconut.com to sign up for weekly newsletter to get your latest updates of what is happening. Yeah, so how are all, you, all, all of you guys doing, man? Yeah, like the two bad, of you, man. yes. Yeah, not too bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, hey, don't viewers, boomer, huh? yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, the viewers are good. Anyway, anyway just want to say that, you know, um, if you have any questions about the topics that we're going to talk about, which we're going to cover quite a few, just drop in your comment, whether you're on Facebook, whether you're on YouTube, whether you're on Twitch. Yeah, we're on Twitch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not as boomer. We're trying hard. <laughs> so um, just drop your comment and we will get back to all of you. Right? So let me let me just kickstart the whole thing. Um, I think there are a lot of things that happen in the market. All of us has prepared a few little things and then we can talk about it, right? So I'm going to start with uh, my first interesting update for the week. I'm sure everybody knows by now. Everybody has been asking me about what's going on. And that is China introduces new education reform. In China, they call it Shuangjian, right? AKA double reduction reform. So it is not technically a target on ad tech companies. It is China's broader reform of its education system. So what is the Shuangjian, right? What is this two reduction? Number one is the reduction of the workload and stress for students in the public education system. Number two is the reduction of the overcapitalized private education space. Okay, so the reasons are pretty clear. I think the Chinese education system is quite a big thing. It's an extension of opportunities, pretty similar to that of Singapore, where, you know, you go and study, you go through all these exams, and then you become a scholar, you get helicoptered into the public service. And the public service actually pays very well relative to the private space. And they have pension, they have free housing, all sorts of stuff. So scholars are very well compensated in China, and China is still a centrally planned economy, okay? And... Based on this, a lot of things has happened, both in the markets and in the lifestyle of the Chinese people. I just want to put it out there that the Kao Kao regime, which is the high school exit exam, is quite nuts. I'm sure all of you, both of you have heard a little bit about the Kao Kao regime, right? Yeah, super but stressful. The, exactly. And, but but what's, what's even more interesting is that the Kao Kao, 
which is the high school leaving exam, has created this whole phenomenon phenomenon in itself. Okay, properties are labeled as Xue Feng. That means these properties are within the best schools. They actually have a label for it, you know. Just just imagine mm. the whole of Singapore shift to Farrer Road because they want to get into Nanyang Primary. That, that's how that's right. how crazy, <laughs> that's how crazy things are. Wow. And those houses get bidded up. So it is a whole country's uh, situation. It's not, it's not just in the education space itself, right? So this is the reform that the Chinese government is trying to do. Do you guys have any thoughts about that? Yeah, I think for the Chinese, uh, we thought Singaporeans are kiasu, right? The Chinese can get even more than that. Uh, seeing some documentary or some interview, uh, they're interviewing the parents who bought the houses in advance, right? For their future child. They haven't had a child yet, but they buy the property close to the area that is close to a good school to secure their future. Yeah, and they're buying at like, like, like crazy prices. Uh. Yeah, so that's that. Mm. Yeah, and, and, and yeah. I want to I, I I put it that this particular reform that the Chinese government is putting out, it is not targeted at, at tech company per se. Right? So it's not specific to say like, oh, you cannot do ad tech anymore or you cannot um, operate in this space. Okay, okay, that, that operate is a little bit flimsy. Okay, <laughs> because they did specifically say it cannot be for profit, you cannot raise capital and, and all that stuff. But that is, I'm sure that narrative, uh, most people have really heard it. Right, so you cannot raise capital, you cannot list it, it cannot be for profit, and etc., 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 which easily eats into all these different ad tech business in general. But there's also the other prong that they are trying to do that the media doesn't talk about it, and I think we need to put it out there. And that is uh, based on the blessing of me being able to speak Mandarin. I actually wrote, I read the papers, I, I. I stopped CNBC, MSNBC, CNN, all those rubbish because everybody was paddling that side of the story. The other side of the story is that the Chinese government has uh, pledged to increase spending on public education. Mm. They're going to open up uh, after-school care services so that parents don't need to be in a rush to pick up the kids right after school because uh, for primary school level, I think they end school at 3.30. So that's the part. Mm. And they're also going to increase CCAs. They're going to have more spending on uh, public education in itself. So it's a whole thing. And why does it matter? Although we are not like in China and we're not you know, within the system, why does it matter to see it from this you know, two-prong rather than just seeing it from the whole anti-capitalistic idea? It's because when you see it from the broader reform, at least for me, right, I recognize that the Chinese government is not trying to kill the system in itself, they're not trying to kill the whole private sector per se. They're just trying to like renegotiate this whole power dynamics. Then, and, and maybe ad tech can still thrive in a different fashion, just not in those kind of cram school structure, which is very popular in uh, Korea and Japan also. Yeah. Any any right. any thoughts? Like a non-profit. I mean, you can't you can't make profit. <laughs> you can't raise capital. You can't go public. Well, what's the incentive for to, to for people to try? doing businesses in there. I think that's their point, right? They, they maybe have a broader strategy such that uh, they want all this control to come back uh, to become centrally planned. And it's not so stressful lah, because left, right, center, you've got tuition schools. They are like doing very, very heavy marketing or you join my school, use this subscription, uh, your child should get A in whichever course one. And then because it's so easy, you just sign on uh, like five or six of those for your child and then they become very, very stressed lah. Uh, I think broader than that, right? I'm thinking it's also to do with the population of China. Mm. Um, there are broader, broader things. Um, not not just for ad tech. Uh, they're trying to reduce the 996 culture amongst the the big Chinese tech companies also. So that's on the for the parents uh, to try and make more babies. 
<laughs> more, more time to have more activity at home, guys. Yes, yes. Mm, mm. But I think, I think, I think the government does see it as a very big problem. Um, it's, mm. it's just just basically a population time bomb. Yeah, maybe another yes, yes. ten or fifteen um, years out. Yeah, Rakesh. Thomas, yeah, do you mind expand a little bit on the nine nine six culture? I think there'll be, there'll be right, right. So nine nine six is like nine to nine nine a.m. to nine p.m. six days a week. There's different variations of that. Uh, so, for example, some other Chinese companies, right? They have big week and small week. Big week is uh, six days a week, right? And small week is five days a week. So that's still nine to nine. Um, that's wow. not by choice. It's just the culture of the company. Um, yeah, and, and this is just a, a, a thing where people will keep um, going for because all the big tech companies is what all these fresh graduates are also going to go for, right? And you have a lot of them, like crazy. Right, um, like one batch already. I think there's a few thousand, like twenty, ten thousand, twenty thousand graduates competing for a very, very small pool of jobs. Uh. yeah. So it's mm. very, very competitive. Mm. Yeah, but I think I think what is important is that everybody has already, you know, got updated about this new regulation. It's very high level. There are certain things that they've suggested and all that. But the discussion is: is China anti-markets? Is China anti-capitalism? <laughs> Right, I think that is that is the real question that people want to find out. Uh, is it is it the whether is it the end of ad tech? We have to see if these ad tech companies are gonna pivot along with the China's regulation, which I think they will. They have no choice but to do it. <laughs> it's it, it's quite a China thing. Okay, so so that's that's the part that they will do. But what a lot of the mainstream U.S. media is pushing is that China is anti-business, anti-capitalism, and. Uh, my take is I don't think so, right? Um, but before I go in, do you guys have anything to add? Yeah, so I mean, I think that, uh, you know, anti-capitalism, all of this, uh, I mean, it can be perceived this way. And I, I disagree with the fact that China is anti-capitalism, right? Um, I think that what they're doing is they're trying to create uh, equality with regards to education, equality with regards to real estate, among these good schools. And if you compare it just to Singapore, for example, people move to Rosyth or near within the school zone of Rosyth just so they can go to Rosyth, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you have multiple schools like this, right? The reason Bukit Timah is so expensive is because of all the schools there. So I think this is a phenomenon or, or call it whatever you want to call it. And it's around, around the globe. People will move to a good school and live near it just for their kids. And we all know how, how taxing that is. Um, so I think they're trying to, to effectively democratize it, right? Use, I use that word specifically because, <laughs> well, we all know China. <laughs> <coughs> China pro-democracy. <coughs> uh, Rakesh, will um, you be flying to China anytime soon or not? <laughs> Oh, sorry, I didn't get Sinovac, so not yet. Not yet, not yet, not yet. Not yet. Okay. But yeah, Thomas, you have some things to talk about for, for this whole like, anti-capitalism idea. I think, okay, why, why I have to ask? Because I think people are concerned that what is the next thing that China is going to regulate? Or it's like, is, is this the end of the Chinese stock market? Should, you, should we all avoid Chinese stocks, you know, broadly? You know, what, what, what's, what's happening? So I think that's the concern that people have. Yeah, any thoughts on I, that? I think for the last, even four years, right? not a lot of uh, foreign capital has gone into China. Um, mm. There's a lot of trading that goes on in the local markets. Let's say your A shares, your H shares and all that. But uh, external capital coming in, trying, like pushing up the prices, that's not happening. 
because people are actually scared of what's going on. There's a lot of ongoing crackdowns. There's a lot of uh, uncertainty that they have over what the government actually wants. So it's a bit opaque. Lah. So trying to make an analysis based off uh, movements like this, like even big ones, is a bit uh, premature. But what I can say is that they have an overall strategy which they're trying to work towards. There's a reason why they do certain things. Um, mm. One thing I, I, I do think they want to prioritize is because of the population and also because of the income inequality. So based off these two things, um, they really have to rein in all these um, ad tech companies um, other than killing off a certain market. Lah. Yeah, but mm. these things have to be sacrificed for the greater good. If not, you're going to get a lot of uh, restless people who maybe work and their entire life, uh, but they actually can't get out of their 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 social economic um, uh, uh, status. Uh. Yeah, mm-hmm. so it's very 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 competitive in China. Yeah, it's, it's really no joke. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I think I think I have to remind all the listeners that China is a centrally planned economy. Okay, it is not a market driven economy. It's a centrally planned market, a centrally planned economy with markets. Okay, mm. so so it's very different. That that means. It's a top-down approach. There is a centralized structure that they're trying to go for. And this is something that we have to remember and we have to understand. All right. So if you look at what China is trying to push for, they have two major growth uh, strategies that they're going, they're going for. Number one is the one belt, one road. They're trying to bring their manufacturing and their products overseas abroad, right? So that's one. The other is the rise of the consumers. They have been trying very hard to get consumers to spend more. Whether or not it is a success, this is a big question mark. In other words, when you understand that this too is China's main growth strategy and they are going to push down this path for the next 10 years, that is trying to tell you that consumers in general are okay. That means if you are investing in things that are more consumer-centric, not education per se, because education like Singapore is an extension of opportunity. So there's a scholaristic structure that is still in place in China since time in millennia, since long time ago. Right, you come from the kampong, you, you study very hard, then you move out, you keep moving out, and then you get to the central. Mm. So that mm. has been, it's still intact, it's been there for a long time. That's not the part. Consumerism are things like maybe you buy your aircon, you know, your, your beer, la, you know, your, your, your whatever, uh, you know, fashion, uh, you know, those kind of stuff, where it is brands, where it is consumer front-facing, well, maybe even your internet companies that are consumer front-facing that don't have a lot of big data that, <laughs> that they're trying to get reined in. So in general, I think that's what people need to understand. China is not out to kill the markets. They've always been centrally planned, uh, but you need to kind of invest according to uh, what is the plan of the government. It's pretty similar to that of Singapore, lah, in my view. right? Um, Singapore government does not go to the level of banning you to do something, but it disincentivizes you. Right, so they, they will disincentivize you by uh, putting money in something else that is against you, lah. Right, so pretty much that's kind of that's kind of how um, China does it, but they take it one step further. So they are not hard, they are not afraid to do very hard legislation. But that is not to say that they will definitely they come in hard hand on every single sector, and every single sector is here to die, and they're gonna kill the whole Chinese stock market. I don't think so. Um, I will talk more about this in the episode that's coming out next week, right? So, so that's all for, yeah, I, I recorded an episode. Next week, we're going to, uh, my monologues on Tuesdays, they're going to be Chinese stocks, okay? So I have a lot to say there. So that's, that's all for Chinese ad tech. Any questions you guys have, please drop in the comment section and we'll pick it up mm. closer to the end of the discussion. All right, so off to you, Thomas. I'm done with my Chinese ad tech. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, something I found interesting last week was a lot of emphasis on uh, self-driving. 
So mainly your names in the US, uh, your Lyft, your Uber, um, a little bit of Toyota as well. Um, specifically for Lyft, right, they are actually going to roll out self-driving cars already in Miami. So that's a pretty big thing. Um, it's come a bit faster than expected. Uh, we'll see how well that performs. But ultimately, if it goes well, they're, they're going to try to scale it up into other uh, cities as well. Uh. So uh, why specifically in Miami? I think the politicians have been trying to, to actually get um, these autonomous cars right, in as much as possible. It's one of the most friendliest states to actually do that. Um, other states are not as uh, friendly, but uh, we'll see over time uh, whether this is actually safer or not. Um, other than the transport of like humans, right? Uh, if it doesn't work out, they can also use the same kind of uh, algorithms for delivery of goods. So that's uh, that's also particularly concerning. Um, why? It's because there's a lot of uh, jobs, um, especially in the US. So think about your your, your truck drivers, people that's delivering goods, maybe, maybe in Southeast Asia as well. It's just one algorithm, right? And that can be translated throughout the world. Yeah, so I think this has quite big implications. Um, Lyft is moving very big into this. Uh, Uber as well. They're doing a lot of acquisitions. Um, so yeah, just want to know what's your thoughts on what's going to happen if that comes into, say, like Grab or like uh, Gojek in Southeast okay, Asia. Just, just to be clear, right? Uh, although we are very socially conscious people, this is not a sociopolitical discussion, right? We're, <laughs> we're not here to talk about like <laughs> what's the jobs of the future. Yeah. Now, I think all those things, they do matter on a much higher level uh, for discussion to want to see the vibrancy of the economy. All those things matter. Right. But at the core... Um, as a personal finance podcast, as trying to talk about market updates and all that jazz, I think your question really leads to what is the future of Lyft, Uber, Grab, Gojek, all these kind of big platforms that are doing a lot of ride sharing. And mm. uh, my, my, my take is, okay, I, I've disclosed that uh, this is not, uh, edu- this is education only, right? Not recommendation, uh, not, not advice, you know. Don't, 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 <laughs> important, uh, important, yes. But at the same time, I want to disclose that I do have position in Uber. Okay. Um, and why why do I why do I get Uber? Um, a few things, right? I think Uber is is the leader in the space in the sense of they were the first. So actually, when you get Uber, you already have some sort of uh, you have some sort of exposure to TT, Grab, uh, everyone else that were their competitors because they exited those markets, right? In terms mm. of uh, user interface, I do think that they have one of the neatest user interface, the nicest, best experience, and they do come from uh, a ground with there's a lot more. Uh, data that they already have to kind of inform that whole experience that they're going for. Of course, they have the whole Uber Freight and uh, Uber Eats and and all that jazz. So if you ask me, is it fundamentally very different from Grab? Maybe no, right? So I think Grab is doing uh, way more than Uber. But Uber versus Lyft, I think Uber, Uber is doing much better in the sense of the broadness of their business and how they can monetize. Right, compared to Lyft being a very, very focused business. Of course, Lyft recently uh, announced, everyone announced they're sending food delivery. Okay, so mm. everybody is doing food delivery. Um, it's, it's up to see, you know, how, how, things, how this is going to work. But in general, I think going forward, because of all these data coming in, all these um, self-driving and, and what have you, right? It's going to bring down the cost of operation for all these guys. Lyft, Uber, Gojek, Grab, what have you. And... Yeah, although I, I know what you're saying that people are going to lose jobs. I don't like that idea, but it's going to make it more efficient for the businesses. Uh, they don't need care about uh, employee unionization. They, they can simplify a lot of these processes. It's going to make it cheaper for them per ticket. Right? So I think, I think from that ground, um, there's some sort of advantage. Lah. Yeah. Right. What are your thoughts, Rakesh? Man, I think at what point do we call these people from a right-hailing company to a logistics company? 
right? Um, and that's the re- that's really the way that I that I look at Uber, Lyft, Grab, uh, Gojek, uh, whoever I have you, right? Um, and yes, they were just transporting people. That's what a ride uh, hailing company does. And with this, they effectively and if you look at the logistics company, the most expensive cost is your last month. That's effectively if you look at it on, on a supply chain basis. If they can really, really, really reduce that, isn't that amazing? Like, <laughs> that's the way that I look at it, right? If, just on a purely business point of view. Now, let's take human capital aside for a second because we can adapt, we can move. Um, I, I sincerely think that, yes, you may lose jobs in, in giving, you know, uh, food from point A to point B, but you can now yourself go and do something else um, and, and pivot yourself like many of us do in our, in our careers. So that aside... Um, if they're able to reduce last mile costs by 50%, 60%, that's amazing. And I definitely see that as the next next thing moving forward. For example, even in Singapore, right, we have the One North area where um, I think Autonomy can do it, uh, driverless cars and, and whatever else, which I think is funded by Grab. I'm not sure. Don't quote me on that. Um, but at the same time, SingPost is doing drone deliveries. So that's And that's for posts or that's for anything else. Um, and I think they did want to pull out Ubin, right? <laughs> if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> Maybe because nobody wants to go there and post. They did. <laughs> but that, we, we, have, we have no place safe to land things, so we had to drop it. <laughs> 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 um, no, I, I, I'm for this. I think this is this is amazing. This is amazing. Yeah, but I, I, I want to put it out there that yes, I think the last mile cost is the most expensive. Uh, at this moment mm. in time, it is still the most expensive. Um, it does not mean that the business model after this can work. You know, so we don't know yet because competition gets pretty stiff and when everybody's you know, cost of fulfillment comes down, what, what is stopping everyone from reducing you know, their, their, their cost you know, in terms of revenue, right? So uh, cost, to, cost to the providers and, and what have you. So that is the part that I'm still relatively iffy, right? Because um, right, this sharing economy so far Nobody is really profitable yet, right? Mm. So the whole the whole past five to like seven years of sharing economy, people share everything, right? They share umbrella, they share bicycle, they share house. All these sharing economy is amazing as a user. So as a consumer, I think it's amazing, and I definitely want it to stay around and you know continue to give me that benefit from a sharing perspective. As mm. a provider of access capacity, I think it's also pretty interesting, right? In a sense of like, um, I can, you know, I have access rooms, I can lease it out. I have access um, time, you know, my, I don't use a car all the time. I can, I can use it. What, what, I, what have you, right? I think um, Tesla mm. is doing something like that also. So those things are fine. But from a platform standpoint, can they really make money from this matchmaking process? This one's still a little bit question mark. I think the model, I think the model is not sorted yet. Um, yeah, that's my that's my base take. As an investor, yeah. I'm very cognizant of this. But you know, on that on that front, right? Um, why do we? The, why does it need to be profitable on right hailing, or why does it need to be profitable as a matchmaking? I think that's that's my angle. I don't think that's that that's a means to an end. I think the end is logistics company. That's the way that I see it. Imagine if Uber cracks this code and you can autonomously bring a a good from your shipping yard right down to your home without a single person. Hmm. That's, okay. that's the dream. Okay, I, I, give it, I give it to you. I give it to you, the logistics. I'm so happy you didn't tell me the Amazon. 
Okay, I'm so happy. I'm so happy you didn't tell me. You know, maybe it's the Amazon of the next generation, guys. Please no, wake no, up, no. Right? Not everything can be the Amazon of the next generation. Amazon no, no, no. really make money from AWS, Amazon Web Services. So it is their cloud, you know, service where they have this huge cash generation, right? right? Yes, today is their most profitable. Um, and they have this huge cash generation that allows them to invest in many other things, right? So. All the people that are telling you that they're going to be the Amazon or the next generation, whether is it Tesla, whether is it Netflix, whether is it you know Uber, Lyft, what have you, fundamentally, you got to ask yourself one thing, what is your cash machine? Until they have figured out that giant cash machine, it's impossible for them to be at Amazon. Uh, that, is, that is my base idea. Sorry, I, I, I went through a tangent. But I'm very happy you said logistics, not Amazon. You're not, you're not, you're not, I will, I will follow you. So, yeah. yeah, good stuff, good stuff, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, there's, there's these kind of like platform models, right? Lyft, Uber, Grab, and all that. But uh, this one you mentioned Tesla, Reggie. So, um, if they have their AI up also, um, nothing's stopping them also from becoming a logistic or let's say a delivery company. Um, but it's adding a few more business models to just. To, to, to not just being an automotive maker, uh, but being uh, like a ride-hailing company using like all the excess cars which people are not uh, using, let's say in COVID times or they're parked in the office, you can just like lease it, right, to someone else or you can actually pick up someone as a cab autonomously and that's like giving you income on the side. Like, this is crazy. Like, yeah, everyone's going to get a Tesla for that reason already. Yeah. Um, I, think, I think that model might work. <laughs> I think that model might work if, if they actually crack it. Uh, mm. and but nothing stopping the other automotive companies from doing it as well. So uh, I just mentioned Toyota. They have been acquiring uh, some startups to do with like mapping data, autonomous um, uh, like AI engines and stuff like that. I think they are trying to go with the same model as well. Um, but end of the day, right? Everyone's working on on uh, autonomous driving uh, in some form or another. Um, I think it's going to be a lot more competitive for automotive makers. So the one that um, is going to be more asset light. The one that is more streamlined is going to win at the end of the day. If not, then it's just like endless, endless amount of R and D until they reach that point. Because we see why, someone can say, "Why am right? I hearing Tesla?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Light, centrally biggest margin. <laughs> it's like, oh, hey, yeah, Reggie, do you, you have a, do you have do you have a position in Tesla? You better. No, better I, don't, I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't. Okay, I have no position in Tesla. Um, I'm sorry, I'm a hater, you know, in a, in a sense of like, I, I hate the hype around it. I'm, I'm generally extremely adverse to hype. Um, if you guys have heard, you know, one of the podcasts, I avoid anything that's hypish. But if it does come down and it comes to a level where people kind of like, you know, are questioning whether it is viable, then, you know, the, they price in that uncertainty. That is the time when I will take things seriously in terms of trying to understand it. All right, so I'm quite a, I'm trying to cheapskate, right? I like, I, like, I like bargain deals. I hate it when there's a hype. You know, um, you, you may be saying, oh, you know, you can stab yourself because Tesla, blah, blah, blah. You know, I, I was actually studying it during the period where there was the biggest sell down. It was harboring $100 over dollars, but I was like, oh, I don't know, lah. let's see, lah, blah, blah, blah. And then, ta-da. if not, I wouldn't be here talking to you guys, bro. You know, I'll, <laughs> I'll be like somewhere chilling. Who cares about podcasts? <laughs> with his so, yeah. Tesla, with his Tesla. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so no, 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 not a, not a Tesla buyer. Hey, hey, Ooh, cool stuff. Yes. Nice, nice. But so, yes, by actually, the way, guys, you know, any I'm... questions, drop in the comment section. Yeah. Right? Shout out to all you listeners. Mm. Thanks, guys. Uh, yeah, Thomas, you know, with, with your question on mm. the Tesla, you know, renting it out, I know, like, 
I mean, at least in Singapore or in, in a few other places, right? They want the car to be theirs. And and why they would have it is not to actually just rent it out, but to keep it as theirs because of the convenience of all the other things that go with the asset being yours, right? So because if somebody else right. is going in, you'll be worried about hygiene, worried about safety, all these other things. So I think it's a good idea. I think we really need to understand what the, um, the, the implementation is and the execution is on Tesla's point. And I, I see more um, negative things right now, given the, the state that we're in, than, than positives. Is, is, in, in Singapore alone, you can look up uh, drivela.sg. This is actually a, a working model already. Um, mm, okay. So whether to clean this car before it's being used, I think that's as simple as you have your AI drive it to uh, like a car wash or something, get it um, like clean and all that before it goes to pick up someone else. Uh, right? Mm. It can over be under a Tesla. Sanitize it. Sanitize it. Yeah, sanitize <laughs> it the whole entire thing. It just does everything automatically. Yeah. So a lot of it, I think, I think is 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 we we covered a bit inside the um the the, the stock account on Tesla uh, But just just this point is just a lot of different models can be done on it because it starts to encroach onto the other uh, existing platforms, right? Just because of this capability and because they have that skill and they are very asset like. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Shout out to all you Tesla holders. Hope you hope you continue to do well, uh. Fighting. Okay. Mm. Next, shall we move on to the next topic? Yeah. Hmm. Awesome. So I think, you know, on my side, something we, we uh, realized over the last couple of weeks is a property guru, right? Um, <laughs> property guru, as, as uh, we all know, is a mm. uh, platform where you can go in and list effectively a marketplace of houses for renting as well as buying. Um, mm. I mean, I'm, I'm sure we all know about <laughs> property guru, uh, but I think it's just good to say. Um, I think one of the surprising things for me, at least, is the fact that they're going public. Um, and they're going public mm. through a spec on the NYSE. So they're not going through a Singapore-based company, not going through in, in um, SGX, but specifically to NYSE itself. I do believe mm -hmm. they are looking to close it uh, by Q3, um, or I think within the next couple of weeks. Um, and their valuation, hear this, <laughs> right? Uh, if you're drinking, <laughs> at least put a cup down. <laughs> so the valuation will be at an estimate of 1.8 billion in US dollars. Um, at the point of this, uh, at the point of this listing, uh, just for some numbers, uh, <laughs> they made sixty-two million in revenue uh, in twenty nineteen, and I think that's a two hundred multiple. That's a two hundred multiple. <laughs> saying, yes, continue, continue. <laughs> yes, um, and they've previously tried to go IPO in Australia as well, but I think with regards to the the red tape, they they pulled back on it. Um, but now they're going through specs. Uh, which is actually owned by a couple, what's his name again? Uh, Richard, Richard Lee. Was it? Mm. Yes, Richard Lee. Richard Lee. Um, so yeah, yeah, I mean, I think that that for me is, is a bit of a, of a question mark. Uh, they did have a revenue drop uh, last year, um, I think by 7%. Um, and they still have a net loss, if I'm not mistaken. So they're not quite profitable. Um, and their last run of funding was last year. Uh, so at a 200 multiplier, uh, and, correction, uh, 300, by the way, just say, okay. All right. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. not everything higher is three, better. Yes. Yeah. It's a 300 multiplier with a net loss moving into, uh, an IPO. I mean, I, I want to hear you guys thoughts. I think Reggie has said quite a bit. If not, we lose another sponsor. <laughs> I think that, oh, oh, no, 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 no. I, I think I think I think the game of of going uh, public uh, like through an IPO in the regular way or through a spec, right? 
the, the, the end goal is not to actually make the company profitable so quickly. It's for the founders or some of the investors to actually exit. That's one of their strategies, right? Um, whether they actually become profitable after a while, that's up to their roadmap. Lah, but that's up to them um, selling uh, the spec or the IPO to the fellow investors. Lah. Um, mm. Buyer beware, I guess. But uh, I don't know. Maybe they have other plans inside their prospectors. Mm. Mm-hmm. So we, we, we got to yeah. wait for more details. Lah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so like the, 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 the spec for Grab, for example, they also want to do it um, uh, through that means, right? Uh, you can see them actually using comparables in China as well as in the US, but they don't call themselves a ride-hailing company anymore. It's more like the super app company. <laughs> if you're in that region, right, then you, you can compare to the likes of, say, like Tencent, right? Uh, not, not like TT anymore, but like the super kind of like logistic company, like Tainiao, that kind of thing which is a percentage of the whole of Alibaba. So the valuations can get a bit stretched. I'm just a little bit uh, curious about how they actually did uh, these comparables for Property Guru itself. Because they actually, uh, I think they have market, one of the largest market shares in Southeast Asia. Right? Mm, mm. So, so are they comparing with the US? Are they comparing with like China's equivalent? Or they, yeah. Are they just packaging it uh, from like, from the Great East, you know, to sell to the Angmos in NYSE. It's like, wow, yeah, yeah. You know, ASEAN is the growth story, right? That's the future, right? And then, you know, we're going to ride mm. through, like, we're going to go through, fly through a multiple of, like, what? Like, <laughs> I don't know. Yes, yes. I don't know what, Population I don't know growth. Gonna... Yeah, everyone yes, needs yes. houses. All, all, so, all yes, kind of, yeah. Growth. Rubbish. Mm. Okay, so so my, my, my take, uh, my take, my take a bit more edgy, uh, because Property Guru never sponsor us. Okay. <laughs> So yeah, anyway, after after we say this, I think it's also very hard to get sponsored by them. Okay, but my 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 biggest disdain with property guru is not even the multiple, but the business in itself. It is a very, very old school business of listing. It is like classified, you know. It's as old as like hungry go where classified and those kind of businesses where you have all this information, it is on a particular platform. And for people to want to push their listing up, they want to push their information up, they pay an advertising fee to push up. Mm. right? But, but they have been in this space for the longest time ever. I don't know why they're not integrating the whole transaction process end-to-end. So I envision myself, if I run a property guru, right, I will try very hard to eat up the whole process of a buyer's journey all the way and also a seller's journey. So today, let's say, you know, we want to settle down and then you know, we want to buy a house or whatever. Or, you know, you suddenly, you know, Bitcoin to the moon, then you want to buy a house, right? What have you? Lah? So you have the money, you want to buy a house, you go to Property Guru, you search all these different things out there and then there's a mortgage calculator inbuilt to help you calculate how much you need to pay. You have all these cross comparison with different, different mortgages and banks and then you have all these different listings that you can potentially go for and then you just ping the seller. The seller will be like, okay, when are you going to come in? So then you schedule over there. Property Guru sits in the middle as your assurance. right? So they insure both sides, essentially. They will make sure that a potential buyer does mm. not mess up the seller's house. The potential seller does not end up kidnapping the buyer. And then all the way to the transaction and to the day, to, to the process where you buy the property and then you transact. If that is the end-to-end business model, Property Guru will be an amazing business because if you just calculate from a 2 to 3% of what all these property agents are, are making, right, that will be per ticket sale about at least close to 15000 per ticket sale. Right? But but today, their per listing revenue is like, what, $40 or $80? I was like, 
uh, why would I want to buy a why would I want to buy a classified, right? So so mm. I, I I I don't like the business at all, and I I really think it's an exit strategy, it's a lazy exit strategy, um, and yeah, about about Grab, you know, about the super app rubbish. I also want to once again point out that in China, there are only two super apps. Okay. <laughs> Ali, Alibaba and WeChat. Uh, these are the only two super apps. Uh, no, no, even, no, no. You, even, you don't understand. Southeast Asia needs its own super app. That's why there's a growth story. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Yeah, guys. So it's all, it's all spinning. La. Okay, we got to spin. La. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, and the rubbish is super apps are super because they're super revenue. Okay? There, there is some sort of there's some sort of you know, money-making process. Not necessarily, in, actually, no, Reggie. Yeah. Um, really? The super app could be user-based. Could be user base. Ecosystem, right? user base. Exactly, exactly. So it's not just purely revenue. It's user base. Yeah, right? but you and have to monetize the, fa- the users, right? At some level. That's next step, right? And and I mean, just, just to point out, I just also, as a quick tangent, Thomas used the word logistics firm, right? <laughs> just, just want to say, yeah, not a ride-hailing yeah. firm. Not but right, um, yeah. I, that, that's the way that I look at it. A super app is someone where, it's something where you would go to to get your answers, fit, uh, get your answers answered, right? Less on on the internal side, more on the external side in terms of consumer. That's the way that I would look at it. Really? Um, but coming cu- coming back to this, right? Um, agreed on your on your um, business model pivot, if you want to call it. Thank that you, for, thank you. You know, probably you can call me. I can see on the board as an independent <laughs> director. Perfectly happy to take that thirty thousand a month. You know, just call Wall. Okay, hello at thefinancialcoconut.com. Send your emails. Okay. <laughs> Um, you know, and I think that's that's completely fair. But I think in order for you to penetrate that market, which has been in existence since God knows how long, it takes more than just uh, setting this up, lah, right? Because mm-hmm. the banks have their way, and we all know how archaic the banks are. Um, and and even even during this COVID time, I need to go down and sign something. I'm like, we have DocuSign, we have all these other things, and just the signing of a document, you need the person in in paper, bring your passport, bring your IC, all like, I mean, aren't, aren't we past that? Right, so no, we're not, uh, given we're not, we're not. <laughs> clearly, clearly we're not right. So given all these different um, red tapes, obstacles, hurdles that they have to pass, I can see why they're, where they're going, right? Um, and obviously, things might change in the future. Yes, we don't expect them to be profitable, but I think the valuation is also a bit of a, of a question mark if you were to look mm. at it that way. Yeah, I I think the valuation is crazy, and I don't think they're profitable. I don't have their exact, you know, prospectus yet, uh, but I just caution people investing in specs um, in general. Uh, I also have an episode prepared for all of you. It's coming out in two, three weeks uh, about specs, you know, how how to look at them, how to evaluate them, and why I'm not a big proponent of specs. To, to mm. put it bluntly, right, spec is like buying a lotto ticket, right? You, you spend money, okay, but at least this lotto ticket will give you back your money in some ways, lah. Okay, <laughs> whether or not is it really profitable, that's a big question mark. But I will mm. not ever want to put my money in a, in a spec structure where I don't know what I'm actually buying. I'm just putting my money with a sophisticated investor, which actually is a sponsor with a 20% upside if they close the deal. So the incentive structure is also a bit wonky. Uh, so it's just generally not not my thing, lah. Right. So no no spec deals for me. You you're not gonna see me buy any specs. Just saying. Yeah, I think we can draw. I I, I would like to just draw some parallel to uh, Microsoft acquiring LinkedIn last time for twenty six billion. Uh, at that time, I think everyone was also speculating that it was a bit too high. Um, per LinkedIn user, I think that was about sixty dollars, sixty US dollars per user. 
And then for Property Guru, they have 32 million, um, they claim they have 32 million clients. Uh. So per client that you pay, let's say for 1.7 billion, it's about $45. Yeah. So is that too high or too low for you? If you just like narrow it down, uh, if you want to acquire users, would that's too high? Sorry, just a question here, right? Uh, you're talking about mm -hmm. Facebook acquiring LinkedIn, is it? No, Microsoft. 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 Oh, so Microsoft acquiring, sorry, my bad. Mm -hmm. Microsoft acquiring LinkedIn, right? I think mm -hmm. it can't really compare it Apple to Apple, uh. I think my I mean, it's a platform LinkedIn as well. LinkedIn, LinkedIn, LinkedIn has a but similar it's a, model. It's to right? a certain extent a pivot, right? It's a pivot on, on Microsoft's point of view, the way I see it in the jobs market and all these things. Or would you not see it that way? Or oh, they're training, right? There's so many not, different, not, different ways to look not at so, it. Not so. Yeah. I don't know. Okay, so so I, I think the I think the problem is the LTV of the cloud of the user. So the problem, I think the other than myself randomly recently looking at property guru because I'm thinking of buying a house. Um not, not that I can actually afford. I'm just pricing. I'm just pricing in, right? Okay. If if something to the moon, I will tell all of you. Okay. Then you can come my mention, my GCB. Okay. But anyway, <laughs> no no GCB yet. Uh, so I was scrolling through, and I and if you think about it, property in itself is not a day to day active interaction. So it is one of those things where you only come in when you need it. There is no. That means they they cannot throw enough ads in front of you to justify the kind of LTV per user. Mm -mm -mm. Right, it's not like it's not right, like LinkedIn, right. it's not like Pinterest, it's not like Snap, it's not like Facebook. So per user in all these other platforms, the, the amount of ads that are being thrown at them and the kind of small little microtransactions and conversions that is happening is way higher. There's volume, yeah. Yeah, there's volume. Mm. There's volume, mm. and it's you know I, I don't go on Property Guru every day and like hey pay you know like take photo like wow property like sweet you know I don't I don't do that <laughs> shit right so so if if I don't do that then. The long-term value per user is not as high compared to compared to what I view, right? So if my, my view is right. like I said, if they're gonna end-to-end -end transaction, okay, there's value. I wanna see that engineered into their business plan. You know, but if, if they're still gonna stick to a listing advertising model, then uh, no, I don't I don't like the business in general. That's my take. Right? Okay, so next thing mm. that we're gonna talk about is Netflix. Okay, so Netflix enters forecasting and video games, which I will also go in the stock geek up with searching tomorrow morning, 10 a.m. So follow our YouTube, Twitch, whatever you right. Well, I'm so happy that I can say Twitch. Anyway, so Netflix enters podcasting <laughs> and video games. You know, as streaming wars heat up, like essentially, right? So Netflix released its earnings recently on Tuesday last week, uh, which was quite a mixed bag. I think they did mm. manage to increase their revenue and uh, they still have some sort of subscriber growth. But the total subscriber growth seems to be slowing down, especially in the bigger markets that they are in, right? And um, not particularly surprising, right? In the sense of when you're locked down, nothing to do, Netflix and chill, all right? And in general, there's I mean, there's already a term for it, right? So when was the last time someone created a term? Maybe Google, right? So Netflix has definitely done something in, in the psyche of the modern the modern millennials and and what have you, right? So specifically, I think what should be interesting to point out is Netflix actually lost about four hundred thirty thousand subscribers in the US, okay, and they barely mm. added much in Europe, which is one of their bigger, you know, uh, the two of their biggest markets, right? So while I understand that it is uh, understandable in the sense of people are going out and, you know, people are ending lockdown and they're leaving, it does show that maybe they have already kept their growth in their traditional big markets and that most of the growth is going to come from Asia in general, right? So that's something to note. And if you're looking at that view, because they are in the subscriber business, then the only real way to monetize for them previously was to increase price. But of mm. course now, there's more things that they're doing 
with gaming and what have you. And they hired, right? They hired Mike Verdu, former Facebook employee, which also had experience in uh, Atari and EA, right? To head the gaming division. So I think that's a pretty interesting person that they bring on. Uh, but what are your take on Netflix and its future? Rakesh, I think you have multiple subscriptions, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I remember that. I remember that. <laughs> Disney la, Netflix la, uh, what else la, Amazon Prime yeah. la, Finish local Amazon Prime. La. Yeah, Rocket Rocket likes his content. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, what do you think? Totally go to your house and watch movie. Yeah. Uh, anyway, it can can no problem. I've got a sixty-five inch screen for you if you need. Explains <laughs> explains. Yeah. Um. No, I think. Uh. Again, right. Uh, look, it, th- taking of it, uh, thinking of it as a higher level, what does Netflix have in your home as a consumer? It's that TV. Uh, what they're fighting for is screen time, effectively. At least that's the way that I look at it. So what can they do to increase screen time? Will they go into gaming consoles? <laughs> I don't know, right? But mm-hmm. this is definitely a good way into it, given that they probably every smart TV comes with the Netflix app. And so how do I increase the screen time of that app? That's the question that I would ask if I was in the strategy division at Netflix. Which is actually done through the Roku ecosystem. Oh! Which was what? actually an initiative that, faced, that, that Netflix killed. So Netflix, what, uh, the Roku founder actually wanted to do this whole thing with Netflix because he was working in Netflix. But Netflix rejected it and then he came out and do his own little thing, which is Roku. But now, you know, the, the hardware and the software ecosystem has already been plugged into most of the major TVs. Mm. So even if you get Netflix on your TV... It's actually not from Netflix. It's from Roku. <laughs> so that is interesting. Yeah. All right. Cool. Um, yes, where was I? Since uh, Reggie tangent me. Uh, okay, yes. <laughs> so we were talking about increasing uh, <laughs> We're talking about increasing screen time. So, and, and again, you can see that, right? Um, I'm, I'm a little surprised that they pay with it this much, but not surprised because the end objective is increasing screen time. Um, what else can they do? And what else in this COVID world, what else can they do that could be profitable so that they can increase their revenue? Opening infrastructure that we talked about with Disney and, and all the rest with Disney already has all of this is a cost, massive, massive cost. And we don't know how long this pandemic will take. What can they do that is scalable, easy, software-based and needs the TV for? I think gaming is a good answer. Reggie, what do you think? Ah. Oh. I don't know, man. Okay, so I, I think once once again, I think a lot of the big tech guys, they are trying to um, try new things, right? Essentially. But a lot of them are trying new things out of excess. That means like, hey, you know, we're quite big in whatever we are doing. Let's try this new thing. But amongst the fang, Netflix is the smallest guy in terms of their business. You know, like cash generation, they're the weakest. Right? And as, as a company that's not generating a lot of cash, um, in terms of free cash flow, they, they are up for competition with all these other big boys, right? So in my view, I know Searching is pretty positive about Netflix and I will talk to him about it tomorrow. I don't exactly know what, he, what he's going to say, but I am not a big proponent of, of Netflix as a, as a company. It's not, it's not that I don't like them. I think they will continue to grow. I think they, they um, have the kind of stickiness already in terms of the consumers. Because, because if you think about it, with Peacock, with Hulu, with all these guys coming in, they still didn't lose as many subscribers, right? So that's another way to look at it, right? If, if, if all these big boys are spending all this money, 
But Netflix is still sticky to the consumer's wallet, right? So it, it does show that there's a certain value that's providing to the consumer. I don't exactly know what it is. I mean, sometimes I do binge watch, but it's not every day, right? So I don't know about, about Netflix in general. Um, if you guys own Netflix, then you better be very positive about the stickiness of the subscribers and their ability to continue to engage their audience, right? As for their whole gaming initiative, um, what, what, what would it be like? I can watch like, <laughs> I watch something at the same time play games, is it? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't think there's any mode to it, yeah. Because if you're just looking at the screen time, right, um, you can just switch to anything else very, very quickly. It's just an alternate tab away, right? Or a new tab away. So what, what keeps them inside that ecosystem, right? It's very, very hard to protect. Um, and if, let's say, people have a hardware platform, say your Sony or your Nintendo, your Xbox, uh, people are, uh, are still stuck in that platform because it's probably about the whole game experience, right? The controller, the, the, the vibrate, the, sh- the feedback that you get. Uh, certain I games are only on certain consoles. Yeah, 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 yeah. The feedback, like, come on, the first-person shooters and, and stuff like that, lah. Yeah, you know what I mean? So Reggie went yeah. on a tangent again. What else is new? I mean, COVID has been hard on some people. Okay. Anyway, anyway, um, for for Netflix, uh, going into gaming, right? There is no competitive uh, advantage actually for for me, um, at least because they are going into a very very heavily competed space. Yes. And it's going to go into mm. like a lot of, with, with a lot of people with a lot of dry powder. So ByteDance being one of them, Tencent also, which Tencent owns a lot of, of, of uh, like lot. content companies around the world, music, gaming, uh, you name it. Uh, ByteDance is going, that into, uh, going into that heavily as well. I think that's a very big player. Um, Google, like Stadia, for example, has really got a lot more resources. So Netflix on its own, uh, that is its only business model. It hasn't diversified any, into anything else. So I think it's it's almost like it's painting itself into a corner. And then this is the, 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 the only other thing that they can pivot to or at least diversify to because it's the area which they know best. Yeah, but it's it's unfortunately the market structure is just very competitive. Huh? It is, it is. I, I'm, I'm not... I think it, it really... Go ahead. It, sorry, it depends, it depends on execution as well, right? So I, I think, like, like I said, the idea is good. We need to see the execution. Um, what what is the way that they're going to do it? Are they going to get exclusive games into it? Uh, you know, Apple is also trying to do with the Apple Arcade and all the other things. Obviously, Apple mm. you would have on your phone, and and it's really hard to run away from them if you have an Apple. Mm. Uh, but how how does that work? I I actually think for all of you that are listening, right, you should really look at the content house. The guys that are produ- producing content, they have show franchises, they have uh, you know the whole distribution of whether is it game titles or whether is it like sports titles or production titles and what have you, right? It is a market at this point in time where all the rights are being bidded up. So TV rights, gaming rights, distribution, everything is getting bidded up. And you see more and more money coming into this whole streaming discussion, right? And, and there's, there's basis to it because eventually, I think streaming as a platform or online consumption it's going to overtake that whole traditional consumption of, you know, TV and radio and what have you, right? So everything is going to go more and more digital. And with all these different platforms, like even we are providing online content at this moment in time, right? So for a lot of people that are investing, don't just look at these big platform plays. Maybe go and study the Activision, the EA, WWE, you know, those companies that actually produce content have a very big brand and very resilient over the years already. They will have a lot more negotiation power 
to talk to all these distributors. Uh, so I, I think I think that's something interesting. Yeah, maybe we should write that in our weekly newsletter, tradable ideas. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway, a friend of ours, Hinti, he said, you know, pay, perhaps a gaming console pairing with Netflix to access the gaming business. Uh, I would say Sony, Microsoft, everyone is already in the gaming console business and they do right. struggle. The console business is decently profitable. It's cyclical. Um, but I don't know if anybody wants to go hardware. Anyway, we'll com- continue this conversation with first searching tomorrow. I can throw this question at him about hardware. Okay, so so that's it from me mm. for Netflix. Let's move on to the next thing. Um, I think it's more of like a macro kind of discussion. Um, so there was an article inside Nikkei about whether the world is following Japan-style economics. So, uh, I mean, I was in Japan for about a year, uh, last year. So, going there with very, very low interest rates, people live their lives quite differently. So, people try not to spend so much because uh, there is just really shrinking growth um, or, or no growth at all. Uh. So, uh, some stats are like 15.7% of the Japanese population actually lives in relative poverty. Um, it's very, very interesting because uh, we might think like, oh, yeah, Japan is this like f- very fantastic, futuristic kind of place. But uh, there are these kind of problems that are uh, lying underneath. Uh. Uh, when PM Shinzo Abe was in, uh, in, in, in his uh, seat all the way until when he stepped down, the GDP has not grown at all. Net zero, right? So that's a few years. Uh, I think about eight years, nine years. Yeah. So uh, why? It's there's some interesting um, 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 discussions about it like, when I talk with the Japanese there. So they're saying is that the interest rates are already negative. It's very low. There isn't actually a need for, for, for companies to grow at all. And the population is shrinking, right? So what do they do? They just borrow really cheap and then they just pay the rest of the stuff. That's it. So <laughs> just maintain the, the, the ship, you know? There isn't a need to actually expand into other markets and, and things like that. And people are just very comfortable. Uh. Yeah. So um, that's in the, the, the kind of environment where interest rates are very, very low or even negative uh, in some cases. And uh, companies will just hold the cash. If you look at um, Japan companies, right, you look at the fundamentals, that are, a lot of them have cash in the books. And some might even be trading at uh, below price book. So what that means is that they are either not using the cash, they don't know how to use it, or they just keep it as dry powder, and 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 but it's not being released back to the shareholders it's in any. It's drying way. up. It's <laughs> drying up. <laughs> yeah, I, really I, going I, on there. Yeah, so so um, I'm not so sure whether the Japanese economy can actually recover, whether the Japan companies can actually um grow, uh, even though that they, they might be have some they might have some exposure overseas. Uh. yeah. Well, what what do you guys think? Is the world headed that way as well? No. I, I don't think the world is headed that way. Um, mm. Japan had one big problem, you know, during its during during the crisis, and that was they decided to pull back on spending. All right? So mm. they decided to take the path of prudence. Cut, 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 cut. Right? And uh, Italy did the same thing. Spain did the same thing during their, their, their rubbish. But they, they did the same thing because of EU. Right? The EU forced them to, to do it. But Japan is does not have that, but they decide to take the path of prudence. And in that sense, that kind of you know spiraled their economy backwards over the years. And and to me, that is uh, one of the reasons why they're not doing so well. Of course, there's whole demographic discussion and all that, but that is super high level and it's very hard to have a very deep discussion on those things here. Mm. 
but I don't I don't think the other economies are, are moving down that path. Um, whether is it the UK, whether is it Germany, even Germany, supposedly the prudent country in the EU, has stepped up and supported France to push ECB to spend. Right? So they're they're gonna spend, US is gonna spend, China is gonna spend, they're all gonna spend, and they have all recognized that spending is the way forward, not not cutting. So spend mm. first, you can always cut later. Or supposedly you can cut later. You know? <laughs> supposedly you can cut later. Uh, it's not as easy, but maybe the, the one country that can really cut later maybe is China. Lah. You know, but uh, <laughs> other other countries will find it very hard to cut back because you know voting and politics and, and all that. Uh, that's the flaw of democracy. Mm. That's all I have. I mean, I think in, in, in my case, and correct me if I'm wrong, right, is the, the culture of Japan is, is effectively sticking to their guns, doing the day-to-day, not really pivoting, not really uh, innovating, although technically that's the wrong word to use because they've been quite, quite big in terms of technological advancements. Yeah, when, I was in, um, when I was in Japan, I felt like I was in a different world. Right, you know, like, yeah. like it's like, but, oh, what the hell? What the hell is this thing? Right? So, yeah, yeah. Um, but but culturally, right, they they do their thing. They they like their routines and they go ahead with that, right? Um, as a question I have is culturally, do you feel that that has led to this sort of um thinking, right? Or effectively, no GDP growth. There isn't a reason to, I think. Um, and. It's everyone's just this this kind of like comfortability. They even do even though they like chung very hard and all that, right? There's also a limit to how much you can grow. Um, most Japanese companies they actually serve the the uh it, it just making a general statement uh, Most Japanese companies they serve the the uh the Japan market locally, right? But the population is shrinking year by year already. The ones that's actually doing the exports, uh, say your pharmaceutical industries, your chemical industries, oil, uh, or some of the big traders, your your uh, automotive manufacturing a little bit of semicon here and there, but that's not the entire uh, economy, right? So your SME, your mom and pop stores, that kind of stuff, they have their limits, right? And they also have this kind of like uh, limits to growth. Lah. Yeah, I think there's even a book about it you can read. It's along the same parallel. So that being said, right, um, culturally, they can a, work very find hard. Find a book and drop in our Telegram group, okay? Yeah, so yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, that's interesting. Sure, sure. Yeah. Uh, so, so, um, when that happens, they can be the best at what they do, but it's just there isn't a market for it, right? And the only way to sustain themselves if they don't have enough customers, right, is to just borrow really cheap, sustain themselves. That's the only way that they can actually survive. If not shrinking market, they have to accept that they can't make as much profit as as, as, as before. Lah. Yeah. I, 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 think, I think as a retail investor, when you boil it all down, the structural factors of Japan is not helpful. Right, whether is it demographic, whether is it what have you, companies do have a lot of capital. I think in their books are relatively clean, which is also a problem. You know, when everybody is just trying to spend, 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 they they are mm. keeping it clean. It's kind of weird. Okay, but we're we're not here to try to put some sort of causality or, you know, find a golden reason why things are like that. The market is a lot more complicated. But from an investor standpoint, I think this is something that is pretty on a consensus is most macro investors are not putting extra in Japan. Okay, so mm. they, are, they, are not, they are not like outsizing Japan. They are not trying to push Japan as the future of outperformance and what have you. And so as a retail investor, sometimes you will read 
um, this article lah, you will read, you know, very scattered stuff here and there, and then you'll be like, oh yeah, maybe Japan lah, under discuss lah. You know, so don't let your love for anime uh, cloud your cloud your investment <laughs> decision. <laughs> so, big fan of like Japanese culture, Japanese food, you know, when I was there, I felt like I was in the anime. So, you know, I, I totally get that, that sexiness of Japan as a culture, but as an investor, you got to ask yourself, at the core, do they have the kind of tailwinds to push themselves to the next level? Are they structurally changing their homogeneity within their country? Are, are they bringing a whole new wave of exports to the world? Answer is no. Right? So they, they, they're not doing that. Um, they have tried. The Tokyo government is trying to bring a lot of startups into Tokyo. And what have you? They're, they're all trying. But it's not working. So for whatever reason, not here to discuss on causality, it's not working. So I think my take will be I will price myself along all other, you know, ETFs, MSCI World, you know, indexes. I was like, okay, I will not try to outperform um, the MSCI World. But when, when it comes to China, I do outperform. That means I will, um, not, I will outsize my uh, composite compared to the MSCI World, which currently is about 7% for China. You know, and I think it's underappreciated. Of course, the risk is there structurally, culturally, politically, what have you. So, once again, not recommendation, not advice. Please go ahead, study and learn. Just here to share our thoughts and our comments. So, yeah, I, th I, I think um, we, are, we are on the hour. Thanks for all of you for tuning in. If you have no questions in the comments, then we're just going to take our break, right? So, uh, do Last things, do, do any one of you have any other things to add, like Thomas, Rakesh? Any last things you want to let our listeners know? We cover so yeah, many. Yeah, just something random. No? So, yeah. Japanese companies, uh, like a meat company, meat processing company, they didn't have enough profit to give out dividends. So, they gave out meat to their shareholders instead. <laughs> Very cool. Uh, Very yeah. cool. <laughs> so a neighbor of mine receives a packet of meat every every year instead of dividends. Wow, Kobe beef is <laughs> actually actually yes actually yes it is a beef. Yeah, oh wow, like yeah. maybe not Kobe man. Kobe is like export quality. So yeah, a any mm -hmm. last words for cash? No, I think that's a pretty good note to end on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you all for tuning in with us on the TFC updates. We're going to try this whole new component where we update you guys about what's happening during this whole past week of the news cycle. Because we get it, the news cycle every day trying to make everything sound interesting and sexy. But the reality is there are many things that will be like, huh? Who cares? Right? So at the end of the next week, you'll be like, what happened? Property grew listing. Ah? Oh, never mind. My life carries on. Right? So there are a lot of all these things that don't matter. Uh, but there are also a lot of other things that uh, are more interesting, uh, great things to learn, and a lot of learning points uh, embedded within all these new cycles. So we hope to be here with you every week to update you what uh, matters to us and hopefully you can learn something extra and interesting. We are also launching our newsletter. I got to shout out to our newsletter again. All right, so we're going to shout out to our newsletter where sign up for our newsletter, go to thefinancialcoconut.com, drop your email and you'll get the whole week's update what's going on. So we are only picking a few of the interesting things to share with you guys live every Tuesday. But if you want the newsletter to come into your inbox every Monday to get updated about what happened the whole last week, hey, go to thefinancialcoconut.com to put your email now. Also, I'll see you on Telegram. I'll see you guys next week. I'll see you guys tomorrow uh, for our Geek Up with Searching. So that's it for today then. Take care. Woo!
Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode with me, Rakesh, and trust that you learned something today. If you enjoyed the session and want to be part of the banter, join our community Telegram group or follow us on social media. We also have a weekly newsletter to get a digest of the news we covered. To sign up, please click the description below. As always, we love your feedback. So share that with us at hello at thefinancialcoconut.com. Thanks and stay safe.